Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching. Listen, here's where we're at right now with uh, our study of Matthew 7. If you've not been around, we've been in a study on the life of Jesus since, geez, it's been, I think, a little bit over 12 months now. And there's so much there, we're not even all that far in. We're still in the first year of his ministry. We find ourselves at this point in the Sermon of the Mount, which is the longest uh, recorded message that we have of Jesus, with a very specific point. And we're getting closer to the end of it. Uh, matter of fact, today we're getting to the main point of the entire sermon. Um, outside of, he's got a couple of bullet point things here at the, at the end that we still got to cover, but this is the main point that he's been driving for from the beginning. So I wanna dig into this with you and talk about what that means as we go. But um, we're actually not gonna read a lot today, but normally we have larger blocks. Uh, we have three verses today, so I, I will probably be out of here by four. Okay, <laughs> 12, verse 12. When Jesus is teaching to them, and after these points that he's made that we'll recover here in a second, he says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And this is where I want to kind of start at. This is where I want to make my main points at. This is what's going to lay off foundation for the main thing he's been driving for the whole time. This voice sounds familiar, yes? Me, if you're not into the Bible that much, why does it sound familiar? Is the golden rule. Okay, so that's the first point I'm going to just throw out the softball. Point one, the golden rule is familiar. It might be more familiar than what we even realize. For, for me, well, I think the first time I came across the golden rule was probably fifth grade. My, Mrs. Gross was my teacher. She was huge on uh, the, the golden rule, maybe just because she was trying to keep us from being a, uh, what? Are you? She was huge. What is wrong with you people? <laughs> you realize we're talking about Jesus here, right? Okay, Jimmy. But she was a rather large lady. Um, no, she actually wasn't. She was very, very tiny. So sorry, Mrs. Gross, if you're still alive. Um, it's been a long time. It's been a long time since I've been in fifth grade. I'm just saying. So in fifth grade, let me just tell you this. We had this contest, right? And we were making uh, animals out of paper plates, okay? okay? Do you guys ever do that? We got many teachers in the room, okay? And um, I made an elephant, and I took the little styrofoam ball, like the half ball things, and made him a trunk, wow. and I got first prize. Has nothing to do with the sermon. <laughs> huh? I, 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 the funny thing was, uh, when I was going through, when my mom passed a couple years ago, I've been going through a lot of food things and divvy down a bunch of family. I came across that sucker. The nose is flat now, but... <laughs> Anyways, it has nothing to do with it. Mrs. Gross, who was a small woman, was very big on, on the, the Golden Rule. Do they still do the Golden Rule, Amanda? What grade do you have now? Third, Third grade? Do they do Golden Rule stuff? We, we all make up our own rules. We get kind of rules. Well, there's different rules in the Golden Rule. What, what's one of the... No, I don't want to know the rules in your classroom. What's some of your rules at home with JT? No, okay. But, but here's the thing. It's also familiar not just because of fifth grade, but it's also familiar because Jesus wasn't the first one to say something like this. 
Uh, it's actually found in many different areas over the history of, of time. Uh, we have Hillel. Uh, we talked about Hillel earlier on last year. He's very popular, very well-known, very high-ranking um, Jewish leader at the time of Jesus. Had uh, something very similar to the Golden Rule that he taught on. Uh, the Book of Tibet, which was 300 years before Jesus, has something very similar to this as well. Uh, Con Confucius, is that yeah? Confucius does. Um, I remember it's about a decade ago. It's been a while. But I remember watching a video of little kids It was on the Golden Rule and all these little kids explaining how they understand the Golden Rule from different faiths, from Muslim, um, Hindu, Buddhism, whatever the case may be. It's, it's a very popular concept, but the difference is when it comes to Jesus, he is the only one that comes from the positive instead of the negative. The only one that comes from the positive instead of the All the other ones, how basically you can sum it down into this Tom Heist version of it, uh, don't do to other people what you don't want them to do to you. Every single one of them. Jesus, the only one says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that doesn't sound like that much of a difference, but when you really stop and think about it, that's, it it's a much higher bar. It's a much higher bar. If I tell you, hey, that guy you know, just left his wallet and the table next to you, don't, don't take it. That's not that hard to do. For, mo for most of us. Okay, yeah, sure, I'm not going to take as well. But if I say to you, hey, look, your, your neighbor's really struggling with groceries, uh, you should probably take like 100, 150 bucks and help them out. That, that's different. All of a sudden, we, we start thinking all kinds of things like, I don't have any money because we're all going on vacation next week, or they should go get a better job, or all kinds of things that we come up with not doing, helping somebody else in need when we would want them to help us if we were in need. Does that make sense? So it's a much higher bar, but it, it is familiar for, for several uh, reasons. As a matter of fact, Chris, if we go back to that, there's a couple of uh, verses. Uh, no, it's not. Where did I put those? Oh, well, I'll tell them to you. Watch them show up someplace else because, you know. Uh, Matthew uh, 22, I'll give to you. Is it? Ah, but it's in the wrong spot. Okay. Yeah, we'll leave it up there so you look at it in John 13. But don't look at the number two. We're not there yet. Come on now. Okay. Cheaters. <laughs> Matthew 22. Anybody know what that is? That's one that we come across a lot. Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And then Jesus says, also, by the way, there's a second one that's just too cool, too important for us to miss. Love others as you love yourself. That's where he lays this foundation that comes back to what he's saying here in the Sermon of the Mount. Now, when it comes to that... When it comes to, thank you, Chris. We'll come back to that when I eventually decide to share that. Um, when it comes to that, or when it comes to treating people the way I want to be treated, uh, I, I think we need to look at those deeper because we can marginalize those to make those not such high bar. For instance, if I love others as I love myself and I don't love myself very much, it's not a high bar. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, if, if, I, if I treat others the way I want to be treated, but everybody's always been mean to me, and I've always got the short end of the stick, and, I, uh, and I've been, um, been made the victim several times over, then I guess nice things aren't supposed to happen to me, so screw it, why should I take and be nice to them? You, you know what I mean? Like, it's something we marginalize down. That's why that second one I gave to you, John 13, is so important. Um, because he also says, love as I have loved you. So we can't take and pull that bar down. And that's crazy. 
If I'm supposed to love you as I love myself, and I'm supposed to love you the way that Christ loved me, then I'm supposed to love myself the way that Christ loves me? And I've had people get mad at me when I say that, but that's not an ego statement. God knows me for my flaws. God knows me for my stumble. God knows me for the goofiness that I am at times. But he still loves me, and I'm supposed to love myself that way as well as love you. It's crazy. I'm supposed to treat you the way I want to be treated? Here's the reason why it's at the end. It's because he has taken us on a trip, so we understand what that means instead of trying to boil it down into something that we feel that we are not worth it. He has been spending hours with us, hours with us. After the Beatitudes, the blessings that rabbis usually give, but very different than usual rabbis, after taking and starting out his presentation, what does he talk to us about? Lust, rage, anxiety, not having money in a place where it is our Savior, but this our Savior is our Savior. The, the, the item after item after item showing us how he thinks, how he feels, how he fulfills the law instead of how we think about ourselves. So then he can say, now, now that you understand you're my child, now that you understand that you are special to me, now that you understand that you are unique and I have a passion for you, now treat people the way that you ought to be treated. Now love people the way that I loved you. It's a very familiar term, but it's a much higher bar term than what maybe we realize in fifth grade. Number two, I know this is going to be a shocker, but there it is. The golden rule is meant to be a measurement. The golden rule is meant to be a measurement. Um, it, it beckons us to take and ask ourselves, how am I doing with this? I remember, uh, again, going back to our teachers in the house, you guys are, have a better imagination on this, I think, than many others. But uh, I remember hearing a story one time where a teacher gave kids like oversized pieces of paper in the class, like 30 something kids, third graders, I think was the story. And she told them, I want you on this piece of paper to make a 12-inch straight line with no tools, no help, just a 12-inch straight line. Now, as you can imagine, probably each kid was like, I nailed it. Taking his baby home, it's going up on the refrigerator, right? They're proud of that sucker. Everybody's happy with each other, checking out each other's. And then the teacher gets out a 12-inch ruler to go, go around to each one and, and compare the two. And there was chaos, right? You know it is. Kids are going to be way long. They're going to be way short. They're going to be bumpy all over the place. You've got mountain ranges going to galore on there. It, it, once you bring out that stick, then it changes everything. And the reality is that's what the golden rule is supposed to do for us because our lives can look good when we compare it to our neighbor. Our lives can look good compared to what it looked like six years ago. Our life can be, look good compared to our parents who raised us that did, some, for some of us, not good jobs. But once you bring out the golden rule, if I, am I loving people? Am I acting in love towards people like Christ loves? Then we've got something that says, I've got some space to grow. I've got some space to grow. It's meant for that. That is something as we go across this, we should be able to have within this. And when you look at it from an honest standpoint like that, we can beat ourselves up. But again, conviction is never made to lead us to guilt. It's to lead us to the cross. And then the cross covers the sin. He works with us. He moves us forward, and we grow. That's what the cross leads us to. Uh, I'm pretty sure I got this next one right. If you go, another thing is the Philippians in there. Nope. Philippians? There it's in there someplace. There it is. 
I love this verse, and I'm sure of this. This is what Paul writes, that he be- who began a good work in you, who began work in you, maybe when you were a kid, maybe when you were being raised that was invested into you, may- maybe whatever the case would be, you started out on the right road. I am sure that in you there will be a completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm concerned that you will be complete with Jesus Christ, that you are growing to be like Jesus Christ as more than that you lean into him. That's what that whole goal is about. Okay, so number three. The golden rule is the law and the prophets. A lot of people miss this the second half of this verse. The golden rule is law of prophets. Now, if you're not um, familiar with that phrase, law and the prophets, it's basically a phrase that they used in Jesus' time that defined the Old Testament. That's what we were talking about. Uh, it's the law that Moses got. It's the law that man put on top of it to try to build walls around the law so people wouldn't mess up. Um, but here he is saying that this is the law and the prophets. As we remember, if we go back to Matthew 5.17, you're going to just go back a couple pages. He starts out in the beginning of all this. Again, he starts in verse 1, but when he's really getting to the meat and potatoes, he says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then he goes through all the things we talk about, anger, lust, uh, praying, fasting, giving to the needy, generosity, giving up retaliation, all of these things to show us what that looks like to come back to this point. This is the law and the prophets. This is the completion. This little sentence takes us back to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love others as you love yourself, love others as I have loved you. That is the fullness of what the law is. And the world's craving to see that from us. Now, I shared out something on Facebook this week that you might saw about the 6% and the 60% and all these fun things. Um, Not all the world is craving to see law and truth. I'm sorry, love and truth. Not everybody's looking for love and truth. But we've got to bring 100% love, 100% truth if we're not loving. Right? So there's there's still got to be that, that standard. But the golden rule in and of itself is obviously much more than what Mrs. Gross had in mind. Nothing against Mrs. Gross. So let's talk about this a little bit because um, it gets messy. I'll give you a couple of illustrations, um, one for my life and one that I've heard before. Uh, most of you guys in the room know uh, my testimony. When I was in my early 20s, I was stealing money from a register, got arrested. Uh, in my case, I thank God I was arrested because I struggled with that for a couple of years at a couple of different companies. Uh, in my early, early 20s with the mentality I had, uh, God had given me plenty of chances and I could not change my mentality and my arrest woke me up. That's when everything changed for me. Uh, that's the legendary phrase of my mom. They've seen what you've done, now they're seeing what you do. And uh, that's what changed my life, to say the least. Uh, so I'm very thankful that I was caught and arrested. I needed that for me personally. Then I find myself um, many years later, and just so nobody's sitting there trying to figure things out and you start some gossip or whatever, this has nothing to do with our church. Does it not happen in our church? Everybody's still on the same page? I don't want Glenn to think that everybody's looking at him. I'm kidding. I know. <laughs> Poor Glenn. Poor Glenn. You're just too pretty not to look at, buddy. <laughs> But so a few years back, I found myself in a situation uh, where I was one of three leaders who were to decide and lead a team on what to do in a situation where a uh, person had embezzled $10,000 um, from a ministry. And 
the question became, you know, how, what, what do we do? They uh, were apologetic, but I've been doing this a long time, and I'm just 99% sure that they were sorry that they got caught, uh, not really a repentant heart within the situation. So um, do, is this group going to prosecute? Is this group going to uh, just 100% gracious, let it all go? Um, and carry the burden themselves is uh, different people going to help raise money to, to help them out of the situation, blah, 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 blah. And it would be easy for me to sit on that team and say, well, yeah, he needs to be prosecuted. I needed to be prosecuted. He needs to get that faulty thinking out of his mind. Um, but in this, that situation, the question became, is that is what's loving and is that truthful? Am I obligated to change him was that what the spirit has to do and how does this impact others and you can hopefully see in the situation just how difficult being a 100% love and 100% truth might be that's why we need the spirit that's why we need God it was a very tough situation to go through because the one thing you don't want to do is get hooked up on retaliation or on past experience of what God had done before and that you put him in some kind of cookie cutter and end up letting Satan take and have the win instead of Jesus being able to move. Now, did we do 100% the right thing? I, don't, I still don't know to this day. But I know that the people involved on the decision-making and on the conversation and the things can have a clear conscience before their God that they loved and that they held on to the truth. But it's tough. What I'm talking about is not easy stuff. I'm not trying to do some like little glib thing to, you know, try to be more like the kids. Have you seen our kids? Um, no, I'm just teasing. I'm teasing because the parents are in the room. The, uh, I'm kidding. Here's another one. A friend of mine uh, had a family member one time just uh, trash him. Just, just trash him. It was a really bad situation, very hopeful situation. This has not been a family member that they've been close to in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and everything in their body just basically just wanted to beat them down, you know, just take them down. And um, the, in that case, they prayed about it, they, and they sought it, and they tried to have conversations. And th the end, Jesus has already talked to us about retaliation and anger and how, where those things lead. So they, they decided in that case scenario to give a little bit of grace. And... Um, this family member, the week after, asked if they could go to church with him, which they had never done, and they were not churchgoers. It was kind of a Saul situation, like they're never, they're never come to Jesus. Isn't that horrible when we think about that, about somebody? But that's what they thought, and they came, and they got saved that week. Now, doesn't that sound like something a pastor would make up? That's just, but that's what happened to them. A little bit of grace made all the difference. Satan is looking for us to have retaliation. Satan is looking for us to have anger. Satan is looking for us for his anxiety. And Satan is looking for us for the depression. Satan is looking for us to lean into loneliness so that we don't have the fullness of what Jesus has for us when we live in 100% love, 100% truth. This is the law. This is the prophets. This is how it all comes together. But I'll tell you what, it ain't easy. It's not easy. And Satan will come against it. I, I was talking to a, uh, a friend of mine this week uh, who decided to accept Jesus as a leader for giving the life, which is awesome. Got to pray with them. That was awesome. And uh, I, I said thereafter, I said, now just keep in mind, Satan's not going to be happy about this, so don't disappear. He's going to come against it. Don't disappear. 
That's why Jesus gives us verse 13. Will you read me? Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Not exactly the most encouraging, but absolutely the most truthful statement that Jesus could give us after that. Listen, you can live like the rest of the world, and you can try to piece things together, and you can try to do it by your own stamina. You can take and define yourself by your job or by your success or by your family or how nice your yard looks or whatever you want to define yourself by. That's what the world does. It's easy. A lot of people do it. But it leads to death. And a lot of us have experienced that. We're just constantly cycles like it just doesn't seem like I'm getting forward. Even with achieving the goals, it doesn't seem like everything's coming together. It just seems like there's still this emptiness. It seems like something that things just continue to, to, to spiral out. And Jesus says, that's, the, that, that's what that road does. I mean, this really isn't hard stuff. You live by the world, the world's going to give you the world. It's just whether or not you get sick and tired of dealing with all that and want life. And life takes a little bit of work. Life takes facing it. Life means moving forward with healthy boundaries and in love and truth. To get through the narrow gate, guess what you have to do? You got to drop some baggage. You can carry it with you all you want through the wide gate. It's not going to happen going through the narrow gate. In facing things and talking about things and not running away from things and going head to head with it uh, is hard and it's scary and it's why we need each other. It's why we need the Lord. It's why we need the Spirit to lead us. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the other option is just to let it continue because we keep running away from it. You're not supposed to be alone. You're not supposed to do this the way the world does. Uh, I'll give you this story. Uh, the book club is going through C.S. Lewis, right? With screw tape letters right now. Uh, others know from the Chronicles of Narnia and uh, other books he has. He has one book called Mere Christianity. Has anybody ever read that? Mere Christianity? Well-studied group. Uh, <laughs> Greg, come up and give it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no? Did you raise your hand, Michael? You were just yawning? I saw JT did. I just was surprised Michael read a book. Oh. Hey, that's not a slam. I don't, I don't like to read. That's not a slam. You wasn't? Okay, fine. Be that way. But C.S. Lewis and Bill Christianity, and the, the, the guys who's read it, uh, which just blew away the stereotype that, that women like to read more than men. Ginger, you've not read Mere Christianity? Um, in high school? In high school? Okay. <sighs> fine. But the, the, for, for you? Yeah. No, no. I only called one person fat today. I'm not going to call another one old. Um... <laughs> You're all younger than me. You're all younger than me. Did, did, did I mention my son's here today? Um, okay, so back to C.S. Lewis. The, the, the way the story goes, is, as I recall, and I just want to admit I've not read the whole book because um, I don't do that for the most part. But um, he was talking about when he was a kid. Stop it, Scott. It, when he was a kid, he, would, had, he had like bad um, tooth issues like hereditary tooth issues. And when his tooth would hurt, he would go to his mom, and again, this is probably what, back in the 30s or something maybe, I don't know, uh, 
and his mom would give him a couple of aspirin and he'd feel better and everything was gravy. He, he liked that part of the process. The problem was his mom the next day would call the dentist office to set up an appointment and he hated going to the dentist with everything he had. He hated going to the dentist. So what does the young C.S. Lewis do? He stops telling mom about the tooth pain because he doesn't want to have to go to the dentist. Not wise, not smart, didn't go too well. Some of us need to talk to our daddy about the pain. Some of us need, need to go back and, and sit down with him and talk to him about what's going on and let him lead us and heal us into a place where we're going to its life because we're just so tired of this cycle of death. And if you don't, it's not going to go any better than what it did for C.S. Lewis. It will just repeat and repeat and repeat. Either by your choice or other people's choices, it will continue to repeat. But if you face it with your daddy, if you, if you, you lean into it from a standpoint of the Christian community around you that gives you support and encouragement, then that will make all the difference in the world. Now, I'm pretty certain there's a slide up here that has the how. Newgate, that's the one. Thank you. If you're wondering how, how to do this or how to make new steps, this is just a three, I, I mean, I know it's so easy, but, uh, but nonetheless, we make it so hard. The first one is you have to enter into that narrow gate. And if you listen to nothing else I've been babbling about, this is the one to listen to. I know I talk about it every week, and I will tell you I'm still amazed how many people come to me like they've never heard it before. So make sure you get this. To enter into that kind of life in that narrow gate is accepting Jesus as leader and forgiver in your life. And the scripture tells us how to do that. It's not just about saying some magic word prayer that means we get a get out of hell free card. It is, I acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. You believe that. I believe he died and rose again. That's in your heart. Then you are saved. And that's not something that's simple. Like, like the golden rule, we make that so, so lame compared to what it is. It's, you are God, I am not and I'm tired of trying to be me outside of you because I was designed for you. And so I give my life to you, and I don't deserve the forgiveness that you gave from the cross and the victory over sin, but I accept it. Kind of like what Melody was talking about up here. We've we, we, we got to get to that place. If we really say, I need that, and I accept it, and this life is now yours, it's a huge, huge decision, and it's the narrow gate. It's the no gate. And if you if you done that before and it was just some some words or something you did when you were VBS or something that you did because grandma wanted you to or whatever case would be, uh, you might not have really done it. And it might be a new conversation you need to have with them. Uh, if you haven't done it, so man, I really, really encourage you today because today is always the best day to accept the Lord. It really is. Um, then face it. Face it is the, the second one I put up there. Um, Again, it takes action. It, it takes moving into that, that path, that newer path. So if you've got issues, if you've got struggles, if you've got people that are abusive towards you, that you need to put some healthy boundaries into place, whatever the case may be, uh, face it, 100% love, 100% truth. Uh, and if you need, need help with that, we're more than happy to be there for you. And the third one is work it. Just keep going. 
But sooner or later, you've got to decide, I want life and I'm tired of death. Tired of death. As I'll, I'll tell you one statement that is 100% true. 100% true. Hear this. I want God's best for you. I want God's best for you. The question becomes whether or not you want it. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we hope you return for our next podcast. Or better yet, stop by the Shepherd's Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500 or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship, 1647 Marion, Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.